Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. So this week we have continued to see these images that take place. And those of you who've watched the news and been around for a while know that conflict and violence in this part of the world is nothing new, right? Like we understand that this goes, this goes back to Bible times. It's interesting that we're starting a new series this week called Keep Watch. This is a series that's gonna focus on uh, the end times and the return of Jesus. We're gonna be addressing questions that a lot of people have about the return of Christ. What I would want you to know is that this is a series we've had planned for more than a year. I think it's important you understand that we didn't put this series together as a response to what's happening in the Middle East, but rather over a year ago, we planned this and God positioned it this way. So what I would want to say is that we didn't do this on purpose, but neither do I think it's an accident, right? Like I think God understood and knew the right focus for us as a church family during this season. When we pray about an upcoming sermon series, when we plan the calendar a year in advance, we are asking God to reveal not just what needs to be said, but that he would supernaturally allow us to say it at the right time. It's not just what, it's when. And so we see his hand of sovereignty on this. Like, I don't think any of this catches God off guard. I don't think God sees what's happening in the news and, and he turns to the Holy Spirit and he's like, what, what's going on? I, I didn't see this coming. Like, God's not surprised by any of it. And what I'd wanna be clear about here at the beginning is there are times when it seems that things are falling apart when in reality things are falling into place. At, at times it feels like things are falling apart, but the fact is they're falling into place and what we believe is that God's purposes are gonna be accomplished. And I think one of the purposes that he has for us as a church during this series is to awaken us. That if you have been a distracted Christian, if you've been living a distracted life or you're just kind of scrolling your way through the days and weeks, but you're not stopping and thinking about eternity, you're not making decisions with heaven in mind, you're just kind of going from one moment to the next that needs to change in the next five weeks. Like I think God wants us to have a spiritual readiness and what's happening in the world around us should get our attention. It could, should cause us to sit up, to lean in and to listen closely. And so I, I am praying for that. As a church, when we go through this series talking about the end times and the return of Christ, that he would use this to ready us for the return of his son. The title of the series comes from the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. If I could set the stage here, Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem and they're leaving the temple grounds and I think they're probably admiring some of the buildings as they walk away from them. And then Jesus says something to them that they didn't want to hear. Like, they probably thought, hey, could you just keep that stuff to yourself? Do you, do you have to say that part out loud? But here's what Jesus says to them as they're admiring the buildings. He says, do you see all these buildings? These impressive structures, I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And Jesus here is speaking to them about something that would have seemed impossible to them as they look at these buildings. They couldn't imagine that kind of destruction. And yet, in just a 
few short decades, 70 AD, the temple would be destroyed, Jerusalem would be um, destroyed. And, and so Jesus says these words to them, and then they go up to what's called the Mount of Olives, where they're looking over Jerusalem, and the disciples come to him privately, because what Jesus said in verse two, a little disconcerting. And they're like, hey, Jesus, now that it's just us, like you can tell us, you can tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return in the end of the world? Now, here's what... Here's what they're doing. They're listening to Jesus talk about the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and they're asking a question about the return of Jesus and when the things Jesus talked about would happen. So really what they're doing without knowing it is they're asking two questions, not one. They're asking about the fall of Jerusalem and they're asking about the return of Christ. In their minds, it just goes together. They can't imagine a scenario where that would be destroyed and it wouldn't be the end of the world. And so Jesus answers them by giving them two different answers. He talks to them about the fall of Jerusalem and he talks to them about the end of time. Now here's where things get pretty challenging, is trying to understand which verses fall under which event. Okay, is he talking about 70 AD here or is he talking about the return, his return here? And you kind of work your way through Matthew 24 and you try to separate those and it can be hard to interpret and so you can debate what verses go with which event. And many people have debated this, right? Like this has been debated and debated and debated. And depending on when you study this in history, certain verses seem more clearly aligned with 70 AD. Other verses seem more clearly aligned with the return of Jesus. And so it's, it's challenging to know. He, he tells us in verse eight, here's what we do know. There'll be birth pains that lead up to this. And then verse 36, he says, Kind of in conclusion, no one knows. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son of Man himself. I don't even know, Jesus says. Only the Father knows. Jesus says, no one knows. So when somebody comes along and says, I know, no, they don't. They don't know. He made it clear, no one knows. And then verse 42, he says, so you too must keep watch. There it is. You must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. So you also must be ready. Keep watch, be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when you least expect it. Now this is the central and primary message of scripture when it comes to the return of Jesus and the end times. To keep watch, to be ready, that's it. That is the primary message. So when we talk about the end times, it's often referred to as eschatology. It is the study of important events like the second coming, the judgment of the world, the creation of a new heaven, new earth, and the judgment. And Jesus says, I will return, but he doesn't give us a lot of specifics or details. And much of what we read can be open to interpretation as we'll see in the weeks ahead. What I wanna be clear about from the jump here is that the essential doctrine for us is that Jesus will return, right? Like how and when is not the essential doctrine. It's that he will return. There are 260 some chapters of scripture in the New Testament. There are some 300 references to the return of Christ in those chapters. Three times in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon. The word soon there is not uh, necessarily a time reference as we would 
use it. It's this idea that nothing needs to happen before I come. I'm coming, I'm coming soon. And sadly, what's happened historically, when these things get talked about and get preached on, we end up often taking matters of interpretation and elevating them so that the central message of eschatology of keep watch and be ready gets overshadowed, gets lost, and we don't wanna do that. Like too often when we talk about the return of Jesus, the, the church gets distracted by all these, well, what if this means this? And what about that over here? And is this a sign? Like they get distracted or we get divided where we separate into different uh, tribes based on how we interpret it. And we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna get caught up in tribes and we're not gonna use tribal language that divides us based on interpretation. Instead, our focus is on what scripture says clearly, clearly is the primary takeaway, the primary message. Keep watch, be ready. This doctrine of the return of Christ should be what unites us and focuses us as a church. The enemy will want to use it to divide us and distract us, but we want it to focus and unite us. So I want us to look at 2 Peter chapter three as we begin this series. Peter's gonna to talk to us about the assurance of Christ's return. He's gonna say, yes, Jesus is coming back and he's gonna help us understand why that hasn't happened yet. So 2 Peter three, starting in verse three, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing. They'll come rolling their eyes, making fun of this idea that, oh, really? Jesus is gonna return? The scoffers will come scoffing, following their own evil desires, and they'll say, where is this coming he promised ever since our fathers died? Everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Nothing changes. It's just one day after another after another, and today's not gonna be any different than yesterday, and tomorrow's not gonna be any different than today. And, and Peter says there'll be many people who treat the second coming of Jesus that way. But what's it motivated by? He says in verse three, they are following their own evil desires. Like if we really believe that Jesus is gonna return, then it starts to have pretty significant implication, implications on how we live. If I don't believe it, if I kind of write it off and say, well, it hasn't happened, so it's not gonna happen, then that gives me permission today to do what I wanna do and treat people the way I wanna treat people. It gives me space to spend the money the way I wanna spend money, to pursue what I wanna pursue, to chase what I wanna chase. Like if, if I just decide, well, he's not coming today because he hasn't come, then it, it allows me to be off the hook for all these eternal um, implications in my life. And, and so what Peter says is, don't think that just because he hasn't come, that he won't come. And we need to live with the spirit of readiness. When my kids were young, when my four kids were little, um, there was one time when my wife left to go be in Kansas with her family for, for five days. That was a long time. Like I knew I would be fine for a day or two. The five days was, I knew it was gonna be challenging, but I assured her, hey, I've got this. I mean, she runs a pretty tight ship, but I, I felt like I'm, I'm good, don't worry, but I can get them to school on time, I'll have them dressed right, we'll get to bed at a good time, we'll eat reasonably, like it'll be, it'll be fine, don't worry about anything, it'll be fine. And like by day two, it wasn't fine, it wasn't fine at all, like it was 
not going well. And I decided that the best strategy would be, hey, look, let's just do whatever we want for four days. And then <laughs> on the fifth day, we'll hit the panic button. Because I knew when she was coming, coming home, like I had her flight schedule. Like I knew when the second coming was gonna take place. I recognized it. We, we can just, just get, as long as we know a few hours in advance, we can get it taken care of. And so that's what we did, right? Like three hours before she came home, we all gathered together and we we're like, okay, we gotta get things in order. She's, she is coming back. And uh, it would have been different. It would have been different if she had said when she left, I don't, you know, I don't know how long I'm gonna be gone. I need to take care of some things back home. Not, I might come back tomorrow. It might be four or five days, but maybe I'll just come back tomorrow. Like that would have meant a much different approach. I would have gathered my kids each morning and I would have said, look, in light of the fact that it could happen at any moment, <laughs> what kind of lives ought you to live? Like I, I would have every day said, we need to be ready. I would have had lookouts, you know, it would have had a much different approach. And, and this is the spirit with which we're taught the return of Jesus, that we, we have a spirit of readiness, a spirit of readiness so that we are, we are prepared for his return. Peter says in verse three that scoffers will say, okay, if, if Jesus is coming back, why hasn't he come back? I want you to think about that argument for a moment. To say something isn't gonna happen because it hasn't happened logically, it doesn't hold up very well to say this won't happen. Well, how do you know it won't happen? Well, because it's never happened. But saying something isn't gonna happen because it hasn't happened emotionally, I think we understand that. Like emotionally, if I look at it and say, well, he hasn't come back, and if he hasn't come back, I'm sure today's not gonna be any different. Like intellectually, I might understand that it could be, but emotionally, it just doesn't feel like it is. And so I just kind of keep going through the routine of things. And, and Peter addresses that. He says, look, just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it won't happen. I, I, I think of when, um, when we're in school growing up and you get into kindergarten, first grade, and there's a fire drill. When you have the fire drill and you're young, like, you're like, this is it. You line up, you get outside to the parking lot as quickly as possible. But by the time you're in middle school, you, you're jaded. Like that alarm goes off and you know this isn't, there's no fire. And you make your way out to the parking lot, but you stop at the drinking fountain on your way. Like you're not, you're not worried about it, why? Because there have been so many times it hasn't happened that you're sure it won't happen. And Peter says, be careful if that's how you're approaching this. Like if you're thinking of the return of Christ this way, where you've just kind of been lulled into the fact, well, it hasn't happened yet, so I'm sure it's not gonna happen today, be, be careful with that. And then he addresses why we can believe in the return of Christ in verse five, that it's not a matter of timing, it's a matter of the fact that God is powerful and he keeps his promises. Verse five, but these people, these scoffers who scoff, they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So this phrase, deliberately forget, is kind of difficult to translate, but, but it would be this idea of intentionally not remembering, intentionally not thinking about. Did you pay the bill? I forgot to pay the bill. Did you forget or did you just not have enough money to pay the bill so you didn't think about paying the bill because you knew how that would go? That's the idea. 
It's not that you forgot, it's that you intentionally didn't think about it because the implications involved. And, and, and Peter says, there are some people who treat the return of Jesus this way. They just deliberately don't think about it. And you're gonna sense this, I, I think in the weeks ahead and whereas we're in the series, there, there's gonna be a part of you that doesn't want to come to the series. Like next week, I don't wanna think about those things. I'd, I'd rather deliberately forget about those things. And so, Peter warns about that in verse six, he says, by these waters also the world at the time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, uh, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Peter says, look, do not deliberately forget that there is a day reserved for fire and judgment. Don't, Don't forget about that. Don't fail to remember that. Like this is really important that you not be so distracted that you stop thinking about these things. In verse eight, he says, do not forget this. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. And so Peter addresses, okay, what's taken God so long? And he, he, he talks about this question that theologians and physicists have had for you know, years, they've debated. And that is, how does God see time? How does God see time? And Peter reminds us that time to God is not what time is to us. God is outside of time and space. And this makes sense, right? Like he's always been, he always will be. So this is not a dimension that he, he lives in, but it's an, impossible, uh, it's an impossibility for us to understand time outside of our dimension. It's all we know, everything unfolds. When it comes to time, it's the only way we, we understand it. One thing leads to another. Time is always unfolding. God doesn't see time unfold. He sees it all at once. And because he sees it all at once, he's, Peter uses a, a, an analogy to help it make some sense to us from our perspective and our dimension. And he says, eh, it's kind of like this. To God, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day, kind of like that. And so he uses this figurative language that I think it's making a, a, a literal point, it's literally true, that God perceives time differently than we do. And to him, from where he sits, in light of eternity, Jesus rose from the dead a couple days ago. Now, some of you who are older can understand this dynamic. If, if you're 70, 80, years old, the way you see a week is different than the way an elementary school child sees a week. You know, like for you, at that age, you kind of look back, a day is like a week and a week is like a day. It just goes by so much more quickly. But when you're young, it doesn't seem that way. A week can seem like a really long time. And so you just carry that perspective out to this eternity um, idea, and you start to see that God, God just approaches it differently than we do. And, and Peter says, here's why that's important. Verse nine, that God is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So here's the point Peter makes. Look, God is not slow. As some understand slowness, God is patient. God is patient with you. He's patient with you. Because he knows that your patience will his patience will lead to repentance. Verse 15 says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Does this make sense? 
If God were slow, it would indict him as being indifferent or maybe apathetic to our lives and what's happening on earth. If someone is slow, meaning they're running late to a meeting with me, I might be tempted to think, well, the reason they're slow is because they don't care that much and this isn't important to them. God isn't slow, God is patient, and his patience reveals his love. And listen to me, like, it is not, it is not just church speak to say that, that Jesus waits for you. And that's what Peter's getting at here, that he's waiting patiently because he knows the longer he waits, the more salvation comes. But there'll be a day when he waits no longer, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And Peter uses a metaphor here that's also used by Paul in Thessalonians and it's used by Jesus in Matthew 24. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And so you need to be ready, you need to keep watch. Let's go back to Matthew 24 for a moment, right? Jesus on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, they say, hey, when's this gonna happen? You can tell us, how long do we have? And Jesus speaks of birth pains, things like earthquakes, famines, sickness, disease, wars. He speaks of these birth pains. Again, as a father of four, you know, I know about birth, well, I don't really know anything about birth pains, but I, I know what it is to monitor birth pains. That's a fair way to say it. Like I, I have had that assignment four times. Watch the birth pains. And when you're, you're watching for birth pains, there are two things you're paying attention to, intensity and frequency. Intensity and frequency. And, and so Jesus says, there'll be these birth pains, earthquakes, famine, sickness, disease. And, and so we lean in a little bit when we see headlines like natural disasters up 400% in two decades. That should cause us to keep watch cause us to be ready. In Matthew 24, Jesus, while he's on the Mount of Olives, he uses a picture that I think is helpful to us. I wanna lean into for a moment here, especially in light of what's happening in Israel and the fact that we have this series. But, but you have to stick with me for this. It's a little bit of a journey, but I think it's helpful. So Jesus is talking about fall of Jerusalem. He's talking about when he will return And and he says in verse 32, look, I I want you to look over here at this fig tree. And he points out a fig tree. Learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, when the fig tree re-blossoms, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, these birth pains, you can know his return, son of man, Jesus, is very near, it's right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. This generation will not pass from the scene until these things take place. Now, some people interpret that and they think what Jesus is referring to here is the destruction of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. If that's the case, then the people that he now speaks to will live to see it. Not all of them, but some of them will live to see it. Maybe that's what he's referencing. That this generation just means this generation, the one that's listening to his message. But then in context, What he seems to be saying is that this generation, meaning the generation that sees the fig tree re-blossom, will not pass from the scene until Christ returns. Well, what's that? (laughs) 
What does that mean? The fig tree reblossomed. In Matthew 21, Jesus had cursed a fig tree, representing Israel. And so many people would interpret it this way. That after the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, we have about 2,000 years where Israel is not a nation. Now think about that. 2,000 years where the nation of Israel doesn't exist. The people are scattered. It would have seemed after 2,000 years impossible that some nation would come back into existence, but that's exactly what happens. In 1948, the miracle happens that Israel becomes a nation after 2,000 years. And so for many people, they look at that and they say, that's it. That's the reblossoming of the fig tree that Jesus is talking about. If that's true, those born in 1948, about 75 years old, they will not, that generation will not pass before Jesus returns. Is that what that means? I don't know. Keep watch. And then in 1967, there was the Six Day War that took place in Israel and Middle East. And in 1967, Israel took back control of the city of Jerusalem. When that happened in 1967, there were many people who said, oh, that's it. They took back control of Jerusalem. That, that is the re-blossoming of the fig tree. And if that's it, then that generation, well, they'd be about 55 years old now and they won't pass from the scene until the return of Jesus. Is that what it means? I don't know. Keep watch. And when we see these things happening, they should just cause us to sit up, to lean in, open our eyes. We, we don't know. We don't always understand, but we need to be ready. One of our elders, Doug Cobb, has written a really helpful and insightful book that explores some of the possible signs, some of the impossible interpretations, and helps ready our hearts for the return of Jesus. The, the title of the book is, And Then the End Will Come. I, I would recommend this book just to help you kind of think through what is possible helps us be ready and have that spirit of readiness. Second Peter, Peter says, Jesus is coming. We know that. So what are the implications? Like what's, what's my takeaway from all of this? All right, here it is, verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and you speed its coming. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you eagerly anticipate the return of Jesus. So how, how is it that we be ready? Did we buy a bomb shelter and stock it with food? Did we congregate in the desert or on a mountaintop? Should we identify the Antichrist and hunt him down? Should we uh, preach against the League of Ten Nations? No, the Bible says here's what you do. You live holy and godly lives. Here's what that means. It means anytime you hear a message or a sermon challenging you to live a holy and godly life, you are listening to an eschatological sermon. It is a sermon about the end times. Like anytime we prepare ourselves for the return of Jesus by calling ourselves through scripture to live holy and godly lives and clinging to Jesus, that is a, that is a sermon about the end times because that is the takeaway. Like that's the focus. A, a friend of mine gives this illustration of what an unready life looks like. He, 
He says, imagine that you, um, imagine you board a plane and you sit next to someone and you notice almost immediately their chair is much nicer, not only than yours, but everyone else's on the plane. And he sees you admiring his chair and he's like, it's Argentinian, Argentinian leather. I had it imported. And you're like, oh, that's really, really nice. And then he points out the rubies and the armrests. He said, I had these brought in from Africa that cost me a fortune. And, and you look a little bit closer and his table is made out of mahogany. And he's got like the latest VR goggles with surround sound and there's a massage feature in his seat. Like this guy has spent a fortune, a fortune on his airline seat. And you don't understand, why would you spend so much time? Why would you spend so much money on, it's just, it's a trip. You were just on this plane and then we're off the plane. Why would you spend so much money? And he said, oh, I just, I just wanna make this my home. I just wanna be as comfortable as I can. And so he spent incredible amounts of money and time on what is just a very short journey. And my friend says, you don't see this on a plane, you won't see it on a plane, but you'll see it in real life a lot. Where people have decided that this short little journey we're on is really home, and they're not ready. Because they have just taken all of their time and all of their resources, and they've made themselves as comfortable as possible, and they're quite proud of what they've built and what they've created, and they love the attention that it brings, but, but they're gonna deboard. <laughs> Like they're only on, this, only on this trip for a moment. And so we, we ready ourselves for the return of Christ. Some of you have someone in your home that when you say to them, are you ready? Like it's time to leave, are you ready to go? They say yes, but they are liars. Like they are, they are not ready. Like they don't have their shoes on. They're gonna change outfits. Like they haven't used the restroom, they're like, yeah, I'm ready. No, you're not, you're not ready. We go through this all the time. You say you're ready, and then when it's time to leave, you get ready. And I think that's the spirit that we can sometimes approach this conversation with. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Are you ready? Is there a decision you need to make? Have you made a decision to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life because if you haven't done that, you are not ready. Have you repented of your sins? Because if you haven't repented of your sins, you're not ready. Have you been obedient in baptism? Because if you haven't been obedient in baptism, you're not, you're not ready. Is, is there a sin you need to confess? Is there an attitude you need to change? Is there addiction that you need to finally get some help for? Is there a vow that you need to start keeping? Is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there there's someone you need to ask forgiveness from? Like, are you ready? Don't just say yes. Like, if today was the day, would you be ready? My hunch is in the course of this series that there'll be three primary responses. Some of you will have a joyful anticipation. Like, you'd just be really excited because you're ready for this. You are ready for Jesus to come and to put an end to the pain and suffering and to the death, tears of this world. And it can't come soon enough. Doesn't mean you don't have some fear around it in the same way that if you're expecting a child, you're excited for the birth, but it still might be a little bit overwhelming to think about. Like that's natural enough, but, but really you're excited. It's this joyful anticipation. For others of you, it's fearful trepidation. Like you are, you are scared because you know that you're not ready. And deep down, you know eternity is real. 
and you deliberately forget about it. You intentionally don't think about it, but it's real, it's real. And if you're not ready, then being scared is an appropriate response. I think some of you will feel what I would just call apathetic indifference. And this to me is the most dangerous place to be, that you listen to this message and even now you're thinking to yourself, am I gonna miss kickoff? (laughs) (laughs) And we settle for these distracted lives where we um, scroll our way through weeks and months and we binge watch YouTube and Netflix and we build up our little airline seat and may this be a time where our eyes are open. If you just feel indifferent right now, my prayer is that you would pray, God, soften my heart. You plead with him, God, open my eyes. I think he'll do that if you ask him. Jesus will return, the Bible says on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That's gonna happen. Like that's gonna happen. But on that day, if you're not ready, you don't get credit for it. C.S. Lewis explains it this way. There's no good saying I choose to kneel when it's become impossible to stand. And so today's the day we kneel and we surrender and we submit our lives to Jesus. Today's the day that we confess him as Lord, we repent of our sins, that we're obedient in baptism, that we become a part of a church family where we pray for one another and challenge each other and spur one another on as we eagerly anticipate the return of Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace that that is patient with us and that the longer you wait, the more salvation comes. And so we, we thank you for your grace in that. God, my prayer would be for us as a church family that you would allow us to respond, that you would allow us to be ready to keep watch. And so as uncomfortable as it can be to talk through some of these things, as there's as much as a lot of us would like to deliberately not think about or intentionally not remember, I pray that you would um, let us see how real It all is. This life is short, so I pray that you would help us prepare for eternity, that we would do whatever it takes to be ready for your return. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.